Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by WhoScored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by WhoScored's very own Ben, and we've got Jonathan Wilson with us again, as always. Jonathan, I will come to you first. First off, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good, very good, thank you. Yeah, enjoyable week, a lot going on in the in the football world. So yeah, I'm good, thanks. Ben, you okay? Yeah, well, good, thank you. As you say, just busy, 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 busy. Nothing doesn't stop the retro wear as as usual <laughs> on the, on on this podcast. We'll start with the key weekend points. And Jonathan, Marcus Rashford's form in the goals, in form, had a great World Cup as well. The times but that we did see him, he's just having a sensational season, isn't he? After a, a couple of real misfiring seasons. Yeah, which, you know, just shows um, what impact bringing in a player who really affects the, the, the dynamic of a, of a team in the dressing room has. That, All down to uh, Ronaldo. Well, I think a lot of it is, yeah. Um, that if, you know, when, when Solskjaer's team played well, it was because they, they were very effective on the counter with that array of, of quick attacking players that they had. Uh, and Rashford was was key to that, and he reveled in that. Uh, and then you get Ronaldo turns up; they have to completely change their approach because they've got essentially a static point, so they can't they can't play in that fluid counter attacking way, which I think was a pretty limited way to play. If you want to be in the top four, you want to be challenging for titles. You know, I, I think it's a useful attribute to have, but it clearly presents problems against teams who sit deep against you and defend well. So you think of, for instance, the Europa League final against Villarreal, where yeah, they, they just didn't look like breaking VRL down. Um, so, you know, United under Solskjaer, were, their away form was relatively better than their home form and their, their form against top sides was better than their form against mid-table sides. And, and that was why. Um, but at least they, they had one thing they were good at, which you know, once Ronaldo turned up, they weren't good at anything. And I think also Ronaldo's presence in the dressing room, just the the enormous mass of his celebrity means that everything revolves around him. And that, I think, makes things very, very difficult. There were all kinds of stories about him being disruptive in training, about um, yeah, him, I think, probably through good intentions, undermining the coach, sort of saying, you know, oh, all these pressing drills don't really work, we don't need this, training should be fun. Um, and, and I think that can, especially somebody like Rashford, who's, you know, from the area, he's come through at the club. He must feel some great affinity to the club. I think they 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 must feel pretty disillusioned by that. And so when Ronaldo's gone, and that that pressure's no longer there, um, uh, tactically they're they're a lot better this season. I mean, yeah, they're, they're better anywhere under Ten Hag than they were under under Solskjaer. But but essentially, that that great weight has been lifted. And and Rashford is he's not the only one, but Rashford is is probably the the the, the most obvious example of somebody who's really reveling in a new environment. Do you think if Sancho got himself fit, that he would start to revel? Because we haven't seen anywhere near his best since he came over from the Brooklyn Yeah, he's a good player. That's a that's a really interesting question. I, I, I hope so. There's no reason, from a footballing sense, why not? But there obviously are issues with his fitness, and I mean, he's been dropped recently for some internal disciplinary thing, which, as far as I'm aware, has never been entirely explained. So, uh, I mean, that might be something. Yeah, Rashford was disciplined for turning up late for a meeting. It, it might be something as simple as that. It might be something. Uh, a bit more serious. We we just don't know, but there's yeah. I, I, Sancho clearly, we've seen enough from him. He's clearly a very very talented player, and hopefully he can rediscover that and he'll follow the the Rashford path rather than maybe the the Deli Alley path. Yeah, and Ben, I think you predicted Brighton to beat Liverpool last, last week, which wasn't. I think maybe I did actually. As well, maybe it's me that, that that got the score right. We'll, we'll find out at, at some point. But Brighton absolutely flying, and the thing, the caveat I've got from this is. Brighton are obviously absolutely flying, took Liverpool apart, dominated possession, were ruthless in front of goal, which we don't always associate Brighton with. But do you think, the, obviously, Graham Potter has not been going well at Chelsea? I think it's just a case of maybe Graham Potter wasn't that good and Brighton are just good. I think it's that Potter isn't that good. Um, last season, you saw them kind of improve. It was his third season there and they started to really show um, his kind of blueprint uh, in you know, it was effective all across the pitch. They just couldn't score. That was the issue. They've always underperformed in their XG. Um, but De Zerbe's come in and he's just completely changed the attack. I mean, his first game was a three-all draw against Liverpool. He had Pascal Gross, uh, Trossard, and I can't remember the third attacker up there, but this time he's got Ferguson, uh, Mitoma, and uh, Solly March. And On fire, Solly March. 
Yeah, informed player. I think he's the Premier League's informed player actually at the moment. So March for England. Um, yeah, he's just he, he's revamped that attack, and they've just they've also got that really solid midfield base with Saicedo and McAllister and Lalana's in there. He's not obviously the most creative, but he does put in the hard work uh, behind the fours that allows the, that front three to thrive. So I think it's more that Deserby has sort of tinkered with that front line. Potter was still good; it was just they couldn't find the back of the net and. I mean, few could have predicted that Evan Ferguson will come in and do as well as he has done. Um, so it's just, a, I think it's just a change in personnel has really benefited them. Yeah, and Jonathan, you're from the North East. You'll be very proud of what Newcastle are doing at the moment, won't you? Well, sorry, before before we uh, get onto silly little things like that, um, I think what, what's really interesting what's happened after the Zerbies replaced Potter, and I think occasionally you see it, it not just in football, in all sports, that you have a manager or, or a captain. So I, th- I think you see see this in, uh, with the England cricket team when Michael Vaughan replaced Nasser Hussain as captain. I think you see this with the Ajax of the early 70s when Stefan Kovac replaced Venus Michels. That uh, you, you have uh, a leader who makes you very hard to beat, who gets the structures right, who makes you very organised. But then to move to the next stage, you need somebody who can allow that to flourish. Um, who can sort of take the handbrake off slightly, you know, release the reins, uh, which is what Kovac did at Ajax. It's what Michael Vaughan did with England. And I think it's what De Zerbe's done with, with Brighton. That um, I'm not sure how much further Brighton could have gone under Potter. I maybe, you know, one of the great things with Potter to his career is how he's adapted and evolved. So maybe he would have adapted and evolved and become a more effective attacking manager. Uh, and it's early days yet with the Serbium. It, it could still go go wrong, but it it does af- appear to be following that path of you do all the careful husbandry first, but then the actual flowering of the plant, you you need a different approach. Uh, and I think for an individual manager to to change is quite difficult, and and it's very difficult for the board to say to a manager, yeah, you've taken us as far as you can. We're bringing somebody better now. Oh, sorry, not somebody better. Somebody who's who's ready for this stage of development now, uh, because obviously you stick with the bloke who's taking you from yeah being a championship club to being a, a mid-table Premier League club. It, it would be mad not to to stick with him and to have a loyalty to him. But maybe to be a team who challenges for Europe, you do need that slightly more that slightly more expressive, slightly looser approach. Uh, I think there is a danger to that in that once the once the the, the plant has flowered, once it's come into fruit. It, it, the fruit begins to rot, and it, this, this, this might there might be two years of glory for Brighton, and then it all withers, which is what happened with the, with Ajax, and it's what happened to an extent with with the England cricket team. But I do wonder if that that process is what we're seeing at Brighton. And yes, Newcastle are doing well. <laughs> I thought we might gloss over that section. No, 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 they are doing really no, well. They are like they defensively. You know, the thing that was always you know, my, my big doubt about Eddie Howe as a manager, and he was clearly a very gifted manager. Yeah, from his right, yeah, from his days at Bournemouth, it was obvious he took them from fourth flight to top flight. Uh, but defensively in the top flight, they weren't great. They let in an average of sixty-six goals a season, and that didn't really change over his five years in in the Premier League with, with Bournemouth. And so, I think it's reasonable to have kind of questioned that. But Newcastle have the best defensive record in in the Premier League, um, and partly that's to do with personnel. I think Sven Botman's been brilliant this season. I think they they've the only game. Is it one one game out of eighteen he's played and they've lost, which was against Sheffield Wednesday when they had a largely, you know, a much changed side. I think he's he's made Fabian Scher look a much better player than, than he did previously, or even than he did at the World Cup. I mean, he was shocking in that six-one defeat against Portugal. Uh, Trippier's had a great season, um, both defensively and and getting forward, uh, and with his set play delivery. I think that midfield. Which may have to change if if Gimarish, if his ankle does keep him out for any protracted period, but that that three with Gimarish flanked by uh, Longstaff and uh, Joe Willock has been incredibly effective. With Joe Ellington having gone through his sort of midfield phase, which seems to have made him a better player, now back in the forward line, but doing a lot of defensive work up there as well. I think the structure of that works really well, protects the back four really well. I think the Arsenal game was really revealing with that, that Odegaard's pass completion dropped from 80-odd percent to 60-odd percent for that game because of the pressure they're putting on him, because of the way they, they closed down the, the, the passing lanes. And I think Willick particularly is, is very, very good at that, which maybe is something that's quite hard for the, for the stats to pick out. But 
the the impact he has on the opponents rather than necessarily the, the interceptions of the tackles he's making. Just his positional sense, I think, is very, very good. Uh, so all of that is is hugely positive and hugely impressive. And alongside that, Eddie Howe seems to have developed this cynicism that Newcastle have for the second lowest ball in play stats this season. Only Leeds have a ball in play less often. And I think we've seen them... Uh, yeah, the Liverpool game when Liverpool finally got the winner in the uh, ninth minute of injury time or whatever it was. Uh, Mikel Arteta obviously got very worked up in the Arsenal game. Uh, but even you think back to the 0-0 draw away at Brighton, do you think it was the third game of the season or fourth game of the season? Yeah, maybe? a few draws at the start of the season. Well, well Newcastle got battered, basically, but drew 0-0. And one of the reasons for that was they, they managed to slow the game down and break it up. And um, yeah, they're, 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 they're very effective at that. Yeah, well done, Newcastle. Another light winner for them at the weekend. We're going to look now at Manchester City against Tottenham, which is Thursday night. And Ben Haaland dropped off a little bit recently, not in the sensational form he was in at the start of the season. Obviously, Harry Kane will be playing against the team he could have joined 12 to 18 months ago. Do you think City would be a more complete team with Kane rather than Haaland? I don't think they score as many goals, but do you think they'd be a more complete team with Harry Kane? I think they probably would. Kane obviously kind of plays that number nine, number 10 role. He drops deeper and that allows Son and uh, Kulisowski or Charleston to kind of make the runs inside from the flanks. Um, at City... Haaland remains relatively central. You don't get much work of him off the ball, which I think Guardiola, you know, he doesn't, he he wants all of his players sort of playing in the same system, uh, playing in the same way. He wants complete control, but he doesn't get that with Haaland because that's not the type of striker Haaland is. You put the ball in front of goal on a platform, he'll put, he'll hit the back of the net. And Guardiola just doesn't like that. Uh, he wants the control. And I think he would have had greater control with Kane, there, dropping deeper, allowing the wingers, you know, Mares, Silva, Grealish or Foden to, to cut inside. And, you know, I, I feel like they would have been a more complete team. Of course, the counter-argument is that Kane would have dropped deep, would have then clogged up the space De Bruyne would have then occupied and he would have lost that creative side of De Bruyne. But, I mean, City would have had great control, you feel, if they'd had Kane up front rather than Haaland. You just mentioned Kane dropping deep and Son running on there, Ben. Jonathan, what on earth has happened to Son? He's got a great record against City. He's got seven goals in all competitions against them. His only defeat was 4-3 in the Champions League, where Spurs progressed anyway because of the away goals rule. But Son has just fallen off a cliff this season. He had his, mm. probably his best season he's ever had in the Premier League last time round. Come back this season, not only is he not really in the goals, but he doesn't feel like he's doing the things off the ball that he was good at in the past either. Or is it just that Spurs aren't cohesive? I don't know. I'm hoping you're going to tell me. Yeah, I think. Well, I think. I think it's, it's both, isn't it? It's uh, his form has has dropped off for whatever reason. I think it's maybe something that um, uh, football culture should be more accepting of and sympathetic towards that players have fluctuations of form and just because a player's had a bad six months doesn't mean he's a terrible player and just because a player's had a good six months doesn't mean he's a brilliant player but he's he's got well, four goals and two assists so far this season um, yeah, roughly the halfway point as opposed to 23 and 7 in the whole of last season and actually on, on that point um, yeah this idea that City wouldn't have scored as many goals uh, with Kane rather than Holland. Last season, they scored 99 goals over the season. This season, they got 46 and 18. So, you know, it depends how many they score, obviously, against against Tottenham on, on Thursday night. But unless they get three or four there, then they're actually on course to get fewer goals this season, despite having Haaland. So I, I think having one big goal scoring forward can, can be deceptive. And in terms of that point of him not joining in the the, the sort of the, the midfield play, not dropping deep as, as Kane would or uh, yeah, as Gabriel Jesus had in the, has in the past or Phil Foden who's been played as a false nine or, or whatever, um, it was very obvious. Uh, I think it was I think it was when the score was 1-0 to City on Saturday and there was a player down with an injury, so it was a, it was a break in play. And Guardiola must have been three or four yards on the pitch screaming at Haaland and sort of doing that gesture yeah, as in drop deeper, um, you know, get deeper than your wingers. And Holland is sort of looking at him and, you know, like a teenager when his dad tells him to clean his room, sort of. And eventually just turned his back on him. And, and Guardiola was absolutely screaming at him. So I think there is a potential bit of tension there between them that uh, Holland just wants to score goals. Yeah, he's quite happy having 15, 20 touches a game. Uh, Guardiola, I think, is starting to think he, he needs a bit more. And the comparison there is with that game last season 
when City won two nil, but were, were totally in control. You know, that was a two nil going on six or seven nil. Um, and I think the lowest number of touches by any City player in that game was seventy six. Holden had nineteen on on Saturday, and yeah, so that's a huge drop off. That for City to try and control games in the way they used to, they're sort of having to do it with ten and a quarter players rather than eleven, and, and that obviously is is much much harder. Yeah, and Harlan just wants to score goals, Ben. Tottenham just want to concede them. What on earth is going on with with Spurs' defence? As that ball went across the goal at the weekend, I, just, I feel like I just knew Lloris was going to do something, and it and it would end up in the back of the net. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Romero wasn't good. Dyer looks all over the place since he got called up for England. And everyone was praising his form and his rejuvenation. He's been absolutely awful. Conte in the past has had defenders at Juve who are very solid. Some of the big defensive names that we've known and loved over the years, Bizarre, Bonucci, Chiellini. Conte must look at his defence at the moment and be absolutely bewildered, and in particular the goalkeeper, because I do think the goalkeeper has been a problem for a while. Yeah, I mean, when you know Larissa signed that new two-and-a-half-year deal 12 months ago, it was a bit of a reprieve because it sort of eased the pressure on Tottenham to find that long-term replacement at the end of that season. Um be fast forward 12 months and it's kind of back in the same same position, really. Tottenham do need that long-term successor to Lloris. I think they missed the trick by not going for Mike uh, Magnum when he left Lille for AC Milan. Um, he's okay. clearly going to be that long-term successor to Lloris in the France national team. Um, but Lloris is just starting to show his age. I mean, he was superb at the World Cup. He made that absolutely incredible save in the um, game against Morocco. Uh, where he tipped the overhead kick, I can't remember who it was, by onto the post. Um, and that was kind of prime Larice. You know, he's a wonderful shot stopper, questionable on the ball, but he still was, you know, he looked every bit the world-class goalkeeper that he has been in the past. But he comes back to Tottenham and suddenly he's gone from first choice to looking a, a really rusty second choice. And when that ball um, crossed over the line from Saka's cross, I know it took a deflection, but it was very minor and you feel like a goalkeeper of Larice's reflexes should have done better with that cross and you think this is just the norm now for Larice, and it's the norm now for Tottenham's defence and they've just been so incredibly shaky recently that Conte must just be scratching its head at how to actually work this defence out. Jonathan does pressure do funny things to people I'm just thinking of, of Everton for a second you know whoever they saw they seem to crumble under the pressure even like a strong strong characters like Tarkovsky and Cody they look they look like they're playing with the with this this is not a phrase at all with a camel on their back that isn't a phrase you know with the weight of the world on on their shoulders with Spurs and Lloris do you think that because the Spurs fans are, are very antsy at the moment they're almost anticipating the mistake that's making it worse for him playing in front of them Yes, I do. I mean, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's never one simple cause. That's just not how the world is. So I, I think absolutely the 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 lack of confidence in the environment, the the the, the, the yeah, the antsiness to use your word. I, I think that that negatively affects everybody's form. It's bound to. Um, I think there is something specific going on with with Luis, and it, it probably is an age thing. Uh, I mean, what that reminded me of that that sort of. Um, the, the the opening goal, the own goal in the derby, uh, where he you know, he he obviously anticipates to an extent the cross, starts to move for it, then gets a deflection, so the ball's slightly nearer his body than he's expecting, and he ends up shoving it in off the inside of his wrist, uh, you know, wrist on the chest and in, and his sort of his look of of bewilderment, the way where he looked startled, it. I seem to be talking about Michael Vaughan a lot today, but it reminded me a bit of Michael Vaughan towards the end of his career when he kept on getting bowled by balls that just sort of nipped back into him. And he he sort of, he'd do this thing of sort of opening his eyes wide and, and gesturing as if the ball had kept a bit low, but it hadn't. It, it just, his reflexes just weren't quite as quick as they had been. And I wonder if, you know, in his early mid thirties, whether his reflexes aren't just, just quite as, as sharp as they were, if if yeah, to use the phrase using cricket, his eyes have started to go. Um, it might, yeah, it might not be that, but that that was what that looked like to me. And then I think there's also there's a structural issue there at Tottenham that that I think is affecting everybody. And and, and you know this is why form can 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 suddenly spiral one way or the other. That. When when the structure starts to break down, everybody starts to play a bit worse. Everybody's confidence starts to go, and that makes the structures worse because people aren't doing their jobs properly. They're trying to second guess other people. And you look at that first half on on Sunday, and there were three occasions when Arsenal players 
I mean, was the, so there's the, the Odegaard long range shot that Lovis made quite a good save from. There's the Odegaard long range shot that went in. There's the, the party volley that, that hit the post. And you can say, okay, that volley came from a, a corner. It wasn't quite clear. So maybe that's a slightly different case. But the amount of time they had to measure long range shots, you know, that just shouldn't be happening. Something's gone wrong there with, with the midfield. So you looked at the Odegaard goal. And you saw Hoybier uh, and Saar both got drawn to the ball. And you sort of think, well, that's not in itself disastrous. But there should be a, you know, so, some sort of way of protecting yourself against that. And what you then need, obviously, is one of the back three to step out. And none of them did. So Odegaard had all the time in the world to turn on that ball, advance two or three paces, measure his shot, and, and ping it in the bottom corner. And he had a sight at 10 minutes earlier from exactly the same sort of thing. So, yeah, it's... It's partly, I think with Luis, I think it's partly, may, yeah, maybe an issue of age and reflexes going, maybe an issue of confidence in the general antsy atmosphere, but also an issue of structure that, that opposing players have been given time 20, 25 yards out to, to measure shots. You like talking about Michael Vaughan. I like making up phrases like camel on the back. We've all got our things, Jonathan. We've all got <laughs> our things that, that we do. Let's move on to the combined 11s then, Jonathan. City team as usual. Yep. <laughs> it might be. I mean, to be honest, Ben, it wouldn't surprise me the who scored team was the City team either. Yeah, this is where it gets controversial. Tottenham actually dominate the combined 11. What? Let's cancel yeah. the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I, 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 worked, I worked out the combined 11 and I sent it across to colleagues and they were like, that's going to go very well. Are you um, in charge of the algorithm as a Spurs fan here? I can't understand <laughs> how this can work. If I was in charge of the algorithm, Tottenham wouldn't be anywhere near it, believe me. At this, in on current form, definitely not. Um, so Tottenham have six players. Right there. Is that on current form? Okay. And it's just in general form, as well. That's true. Yeah, and just in general, there'll be no Tottenham players near it. Probably Kane up front with Haaland, but other than that. Um, anyway, we've got them in a 4-3-1-2, so it's very sort of central midfield heavy again, excluding injured or suspended players. Uh, we've got Lloris in goal, Cancelo at right back, centre-back partnership of Ruben Diaz and Eric Dyer, and Perisic at left back. Uh, midfield three of Hoiberg, Rodrigo and Bentancourt. Uh, De Bruyne did miss training on Tuesday, but you know he's not con- not confirmed, ruled out, so more of a doubt. So we conclude him in the number ten role behind Haaland and Kane. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with <laughs> with that. How is that the team? I was half half expecting yeah, Emerson Royale to pop up at one point. Why the team was going? <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, talk to me. Help, help me. I've got nothing to do with the algorithm. Oh, no, no, I mean, all that's all, all that's about me understand. I, I think I can't. I think I think Benson Kerr is a really good footballer yeah. and I think Tottenham are really missing him. I mean, and that's not, that's not the question that you asked, but that, that is a thing. He, that he's in the, he's in, he was in the team, wasn't he? So, you know, yeah. the air you, that you would put him in. He's, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a doubt, isn't he? I don't think he's definitely out for, for Thursday, yeah. but yeah, he's a doubt. I know he missed the North London derby, but I think he's in contention to play against City. So I've stuck him in there. And, and Perisic, I, I guess has had a good season, but because of, yeah, I think so. I mean, his his age obviously means he can't play wing back every game, um, but I, I think he, I think he's a really good crossover ball. Uh, yeah, I like Persic a lot as a player. I mean, he's not better than Cancelo playing at left back. I mean, Cancelo at right back, I've got problems with as well. I don't think Cancelo's anywhere near as good on the right. But anyway. I mean, there's problems everywhere on the pitch, Jonathan. I mean, you'd lost me. At, I, I don't like the formation one. either. I don't. Yeah. I don't like four three one two is too narrow. You'd lost me at number one, Hugo Lloris, in, in all honesty. Well, and yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. And then, and then suddenly, Eric Dyer's lining up at the at the back as well, which in the well, in if the, it's based on the, the season, yeah, Dyer was good until the World Cup. Mm, wasn't he? Again, I, I, I'm not sure on Eric Dyer, but personal, that, that's just pers- personal opinion. I'm, I'm I'm not sure of, of him. I think in a back three, he's okay. You put him as one or two centre backs. I think you're asking for trouble. But that, pff, yeah, I don't even know what to do here. Let's just move on to the, let's just <laughs> let's move on to the predictions. Jonathan. Score prediction, please. Uh, 2 0 to City. I'm going to go 3 1 to City. Ben? 3 1 to City as well. 3 1 to City. Right. Let's try and get some sense back into the podcast. Let, 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 let's talk to Sam from Bet Victor. Oh, I am all over the place. Huh? Delighted to welcome Sam from Bet Victor. Sam, how are you? Oh, yeah, really good. Thank you very much. And uh, looking forward to another cracking round of Premier League action. Yeah, good weekend last weekend. A lot of big games. There was a lot of big results as well. Pretty similar this weekend, actually. There's some tasty ties. Talk to me about Manchester City against Tottenham, please. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a great little uh, treat for us to have towards the end of the week. City one to three to get back to winning ways after the Derby Blues that they suffered. Four to one the draw, and Spurs potentially a massive fifteen to two if you think they'll bounce back from their North London Derby poor show. Uh, in terms of the game itself, I, I, I've just been having a quick check through the bet builder that you guys have have uh, put together for it, and I, I quite like this one. I think this is a a pretty strong effort. You go for Harry Kane to score any time. Uh, you've got a uh, Romero card. Yeah, that ticks the box for me. I love a little card bet and he's always on my short list. Uh, I've got uh, Bernardo Silva to pick up a card. Yeah, I can see that. I think this is going to be a, a tightly contested one. And then Haaland, who has been a little bit, dare I say, uh, the Manchester derby, a little bit anonymous, but he's never going to be missing for long. Is he two shots? Uh, we're boosting that from 46 to 1 to 50 to 1. And I'm sure there's some particular science behind it that you guys will explain shortly as to why you think that's good value. Yeah, that does sound very decent. I can tell you that the reason Harlan did nothing in the Manchester Derby was because I triple captained him on fantasy football. Ben, please talk us through the science. There's one I slightly disagree with, but I'll come to that after you've ran through it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I triple captained Harlan too, so another reason for the jinx. But we've got him to have two plus shots. And the reason being he's averaging the third most shots per game in the Premier League this season, 4.1. Harry Kane, anytime, he's actually the top scoring player away from home in the Premier League this season. He's scored eight times on the road. Uh, Romero is committing more fouls per Premier League game than any other centre-back this season with 1.5. And he only been booked three times. I couldn't believe it when that flashed up on the screen. He'd only got three bookings this season when they played played at the weekend. I think all at home as well. So just keeps it clean on the road. Um, and finally, Bernardo Silva to be shown a card. He's been booked in two of his last three home league appearances. Yeah, that's a slight one that I would say is a little bit risky because you never know whether he'll start or not, do you? That's, that's the simple thing with Pep Roulette. You don't know who's going to line up in that Manchester City midfield. But got to say, was it 50 to 1, was it? Yep, boosted to 50 yeah, to 1. That's very, very generous from, from Victor. Sam, tell us about Liverpool against Chelsea, please. Yeah, what a game this is. I mean, it's not quite the clash it used to be. You think back to those. Champions League nights that these two used to have against each other and those big clashes through the years. There's plenty of history between these two. Liverpool 5-6 to six, uh, to get back to winning ways after suffering what was, I think, a, a fair to say, a humbling defeat to Brighton on the weekend. 13-5 to five the draw. And Chelsea, who got back to winning ways, uh, stuttering, but still back to winning ways against my Crystal Palace. 3-1 to one for the win. Now, the two bet builders we're talking about today, I've got to say, this one interests me just a shade more. And we'll go through the selections that you guys have picked out. So we've got uh, Andy Rob- Andrew Robertson to have an assist. I, I, he's in my fantasy team. I love him. I think he's a brilliant provider. Can definitely get stuck in. And uh, if Trent wasn't there, people would give him more plaudits. That's my argument. But we'll talk about that another day. Uh, we've got uh, Nunes to have four shots. We know how... He seems to be getting into the right places, but just not being able to get the goals. But I definitely think against this Chelsea side, he should have some fun. Uh, we've got Mason Mount to have two shots. Uh, seems to be a real key part of Potter's team and you know, gets plenty of opportunities and from dead ball situations. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and then we've got the draw, which uh, is 13 to 5 as an individual price. And combining those four legs together that you guys have picked out, 40 to 1, we've boosted that too from 37 to 1. So, yeah, I just think of the two we put together, I'm leaning towards this Liverpool-Chelsea one. Interesting because I feel more leaning towards towards the first one that, that we did. So it's interesting that you say that. Ben, why have we put this together in the battle for the Europa Conference League? <laughs> so we've got uh, Mason Vance have two shots. He's had two shots in three of his last four league games for Chelsea. Uh, the match has actually ended in a draw in the last four meetings between the two sides. Darwin Nunes is averaging the joint most shots per game in the Premier League this season with 4.3. And Andrew Robertson, he only has five assists this season, but three of those have come in his last three home appearances. Interesting. Yeah, two, two good bets, to be fair, and two, two long, relatively long odds as well, I, I would say. I think they're probably both worth a flutter, Sam. Yeah, I'd hope so. And uh, like I say, last weekend was tough for bet. I had a little flick through the figures. We had a couple of big price sort of combos that people managed to put together, but it was tough for the bet builders out there last time round. I think this week we could uh, be in for a little bit of a stuffing. We do a couple of big scores and a few carded games. So keep your eyes peeled. As ever, we'd encourage people to gamble responsibly um, just because there's loads of football and doesn't mean we need to get carried away. Enjoy all the action, though, guys, and the rest of the show. Thanks very much to Sam there. Right, we're going to look at Liverpool against Chelsea now. And Jonathan, I don't know whether you know, I've been plastering all over social media, hoping hoping you'll validate me. I've been doing the transfer shows for Sky and we talk about players going to all these clubs all day. And then I just sit there and think, 
well, Chelsea are going to sign them anyway. What on <laughs> earth are they doing in the transfer market? Okay, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not saying this will work. I think it's an enormous gamble. But I think their logic is they can. They're in quite a healthy position in terms of FFP because over the, yeah, before Bowley took over, um, I, their um, their transfer spending wasn't huge, and they'd they'd made they had a couple of years where they made quite a good profit on transfer dealings. So I think they were in a decent position to start with with FFP, and I think they've seen that by giving long contracts, he amortised the, the the fee over seven years or eight and a half years. So in the case of Mudrick, eighty five million over eight and a half years, it's ten million a year. So that's much more manageable in terms of FFP. So they're signing a lot of young players on long contracts, and the idea is get your spending done now, and you won't have to spend much in the future. Now, I don't know anything about American sports as to whether that's a, a, a viable way of doing things in US sports. Um, I can I see the how... are shorter in American sports. They're, they're bigger like, in terms of financials, but I think, I think they might be shorter, especially in the NBA. I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know anything about it. So okay. I, I don't know if, if that's an idea that Bowie's brought in from, from his baseball franchise. Okay. Um, from, from other, in, in other businesses, I can see a logic in... Yeah, make your investment now. Maybe make a loss now, and and the assumption is that that investment will will pay off in the future. And I can see it, it makes some sense that that you you rather than wasting time by trying to balance the books now, you, you kind of have the big hit and, and sort of you know assume that your assets will appreciate, um, or that they'll lead to better results, which will bring in more revenue. I think in football that's a, a, a huge risk because I, I just don't think. Um, Assets have the same consistency of value in football that they do in in other spheres. Um, I think they've they've got a huge. I mean, there's that story in the mirror that they're, they're possibly looking into um, renting at Wembley for five years while they do up Stamford Bridge, which is a you know a huge investment. Clearly, um, having said all that. The signing young players, the the development of Sanford Bridge, I can see that's quite an exciting project. I can see why you, you look four or five years down the line. It, it may be that it looks very, very good by then. Um, the problem is that at the minute they're 10th in the league and you're sort of thinking, well, I think it's incredibly difficult already for them to get in the Champions League. If they're only in the Europa League next season, Europa League revenues are 23% of Champions League revenues. So... Yeah, that, that you're taking a massive hit there. If they're not even in the Europa League, if they're in the Conference League, it's eleven percent. Maybe they don't even make that. And so, if you lose those revenues, and balancing the books becomes becomes that much harder. So, um, I, I, I sort of oh, part of me quite admires the gamble um, of of the big spending now on young players. Another part of me sort of thinks, well, if this is going to work, surely somebody would have done it before. And the bigger part of me is thinks that Todd Bowley doesn't understand football at all. Nothing he's ever said has made me think he understands football. Um, you know, I remember the first game he went to Stamford Bridge uh, was a two-two draw against Wolves, and his celebrations of a goal that anybody who'd ever watched football before would have at least had a doubt in their mind that that might be offside. And he celebrated for a good five minutes before he noticed it was offside. So you start thinking, has this guy actually watched the sport before? Um, the fact that. Chelsea's recruitment policy seems to be based on who do the other big clubs want? Right, we'll get him rather really than actually is. finding their own talents. Um, and, and there's almost a part of me thinks so if it does work, it's bad for football anyway because what you want is clubs to do what Brighton have done. I mean, Brighton's starting 11 last weekend cost 30, 30 odd million, 35 million, mm. something like that. Whereas they've just got to spend you know, two and a half times that on getting Mudrick from, from Shakhtar who. I think he's got a dozen goals and he's 22. I mean, he's that's 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 a worry. I mean, look, I think he's a great player. What I've seen of him, he looks at, looks brilliant. How is he not scoring in the Ukrainian league? What's going on there? If he's not scoring in the Ukrainian league, is he going to score in the Premier League? I, I, I don't know. Um, the leap from the Ukrainian league to the Premier League is a it's a big leap. Um, it's not impossible. Fernandinho did it; was very very good. But I'd, I'd have concerns. I have concerns. I don't know why I put that in conditional. Many, many concerns. You've I will tell you in the indicative. I have concerns. Yeah, big, big, big concerns from Jonathan Wilson here. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of contracting my point a little bit because obviously Arsenal tried to sign Madrid, but even what Arsenal are doing is is 
is good for football, I, I would say, because they, have, they haven't spent an absolute fortune. Have they? They've developed players, they've signed young players, they're trying to go in a certain direction. They haven't signed young players for the kind of crazy money that Chelsea's signing people for. I mean, Ben, prime example with Chelsea at the moment is Kukurea looked like he was going to Manchester City all summer. Chelsea then swooping and decided to sign him for what was an absolutely astronomical and ridiculous fee. And at the moment, Lewis Hall is playing ahead of him. So the third choice left back is now ahead of Kukurea at Chelsea. Part of that's obviously going to be down to form. Kukurea hasn't been anywhere near as good as he was with uh, with Brighton. Um, but it also could be that Potter's sort of stamping his authority on the squad. I mean, Chelsea are a squad that does need an authoritative figure to kind of weed out the bad eggs, so to speak. I mean, using a lot of uh, cliche terms there. But um, he's, he, you know, Kukurea could have easily come in, been a Potter favourite and Potter just stuck by him, but he's seen he's out of form and he's put a, you know, teenage midfielder in it left back ahead of him and Hall hasn't been that bad either. So it remains to be seen when Cucurero get back in, but as you say, City missed out on him, Brighton sort of shut the door on a negotiation with City and then Chelsea just decides to spend big on him instead and it's been a very big waste of money so far. I mean, Lewis Hall, by the way, is the oldest looking teenager I've ever seen in my life. He looks older than me. <laughs> I'm 37. I swear Lewis Hall looks older than me. I can't believe he's an academy prospect. He looks like a seasoned pro playing Sunday league, Lewis Hall, like in the over-30s league. He, just, he looks so old. My, that's my, my opinion. Hopefully Lewis Hall does not watch or listen to the podcast. I Jonathan, think it's unlikely. Talk- yeah, he's unlikely. I saw his debut. I saw him again. He played, I think his debut was against Chesterfield in the Cup last year. And I was Did one of those games where I thought he looked a very good player then. And then forgot about him for about a year, like everybody else. Um, but that, that was, you know, I, I sort of got got my got my choice of the third round games. And being lazy, I thought, yeah, I'll go to the one I can walk to from my flat. Uh, nice, easy five five one, I think it was to Chelsea. But the two things out of that were um, Chesterfield got their goal, and it was all very nice. And you sort of thought, oh, maybe they are improving, and they, they 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 might be able to to mount a bid for promotion back into the league. Um, and part of it was, yeah, actually, Lewis Hall looks a decent player and maybe Chelsea Academy's doing a good job. Well, we'll see. Still, and still then he vanished. Still, but, yeah. still, no, back. He's back now. Still time for that to happen. Jonathan, let's talk a little bit about Liverpool. Got bossed by Brighton. Midfield. I mean, they've got problems everywhere. I think they've missed the most big chances in the, in the Premier League. I think they've created the most big chances. Only Man City have created more than them in the Premier League. But they've, they've only scored 16 of 60, I think it was, I saw yesterday. So that's a problem. Defensively, especially without Van Dijk, that's a problem. But midfield is where it just all feels like it's not knitting the team together. It's not protecting the back, the back four. It's not aiding the forward players either, that, that Liverpool midfield. And it's been pretty reliable over the years as well. They want to sign Jude Bellingham. I think that much is pretty clear in the summer. I don't think they'll sign anyone to rectify this problem in January because they've spent money on Gakpo, which I'm just a little bit confused about, but that's a story for another day. If they want Drew Bellingham, they need to be in the Champions League. And at the moment, they are not going to be in the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, I do wonder if um, yeah, Chelsea playing Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League. I do wonder if Todd Bowley might be getting in some Dortmund exactly years in, 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 yeah, in February. But they're not going to be in it either. Yeah, but yeah, that's where, that's where Bowley can kind of offer absurd sums of money to be delivered in 12 years' time or whatever. Um, Might be a deal. So I mean, they Chelsea just seem willing to outbid anybody for anybody. So, um, but I, I I can't at the minute I can't see why Bellingham would would want to go to Liverpool. Yeah, that 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 feels like a I mean, yeah. Liverpool were pretty much this bad in the COVID season, and they came back, and last season were excellent. Um, I, and I think you can't you can't assume that this poor run of form is necessarily the end. But I think it might be the end for Klopp. I think it's sort of, you know, it's 50-50 whether he's still there beginning of next season. Uh, I don't think he'll be sacked, but I think he might. The thing that struck me after the Brighton game was normally he's a really bad loser. And yeah. he's, yeah, he's always finding, you know, something to blame for it. Um, and here, he, you know, he was almost gracious. And I think a gracious Klopp is a, is a really worrying sign. He just seemed tired. Um, so so that that would concern me if, if you know, for, for people who think Klopp, yeah, you, know, you want you want club to continue, but yeah, you're right. The midfield, it's just not not doing its job. It's just not. I, I think it's partly. Uh, I, like it's it's aging, and it's it it does a, it does seem to be creaking. Combined age of ninety two, Jonathan, at the weekend for Benia yeah. and Santiago. Um, but it's also I think left a bit exposed by that forward line that I don't think presses 
as as well as Liverpool forward lines of the past have. Um, I think I, I I don't know. I I'd need to look into the stats for this, but my gut feeling is Salah doesn't do as much work as he used to. I think he's actually been in pretty poor form for a year since he I came agree. back from the Cup of Nations. I think Darwin Nunez, for who has tremendous energy, I'm not sure he's necessarily focused in the best way. Uh, and I think they 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 really miss Firmino. Um, for, for, or they miss good Firmino because good Firmino was a, a a brilliant leader of the press. He was incredibly intelligent at leading the press. And without that, I think that that forward line, it just sort of, and again, it's very very hard. Uh, uh, you know, from the outside to say this, I'd love to know what the internal club stats say about this. But my impression is that forward line is not pressing as efficiently as they used to, and that leaves the midfield a bit exposed. It could be the other way around, and the midfield isn't backing up the forward line, so the forward line looks a bit bit haywire. It could easily be both, and then that exposes the the the, the back four. Uh, and those two fullbacks, they you know they need protection because of the way they push forward. And I think Van Dijk's form this season has not been as good. But again, is that him or is that because he's being a bit exposed? Hmm. So that, and that, that's, that I think, is the, the issue with pressing teams, that when one thing starts to go awry, it has a huge knock-on effect and the whole thing then very quickly falls apart. So the, 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 the difference between being exceptionally good and pretty poor is not it doesn't take much to go wrong to slip from one state to the other. Everything has to be absolutely on it to be at to be near that level. It's not like you can drop off 5%. If you drop off, it'll be 25%. Similar happened with Spurs. I mean, Liverpool obviously lost the Champions League final. They they ended up with not as many trophies as they thought they would at the end of last season. Lost that Champions League final. And then they've come back this season and not been the same. So I felt like when Spurs lost that Champions League final, I felt like they came back and, that, and they weren't the same. And mm. they were... Although, I mean, their form had started to, to, to deteriorate in the league. It was sort of slightly masked mm. by the Champions League form. But yeah, I agree that it's a similar process of a hard-pressing team, one thing sl- starts to falter, maybe collectively after the disappointment of the Champions League final, there's a, there's a slight loss of hunger, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difficulty picking yourself up to go again. And, and yeah, that, that, that exacerbates th- those problems. Right, Ben, let's have a look at the combined 11, Chelsea-Liverpool combined 11. Let's see how many Spurs players have made the two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's full of Spurs players, all 11. Eric Dyer, Loris. Naturally, of course. Uh, we got four three three. I have cheated a bit, but I'll come to that in a bit. Uh, obviously, excluding injured suspended players, so it's remarkable that any Chelsea player actually makes it in their lengthy absentee list. Um, we got Kepper in goal, Trent Alexander-Arnold right back, Thiago Silva and Koulibaly at centre back, and then Robinson at left back. Midfield three of Thiago, Fabinho, and Mason Mount, and up front you got Salah on the right, Nunes through the middle, and then I've put Kai Havertz on the left, but he has played started one league game on the left this season so that's why I cheated and put him in just flip Havertz and Nunez <laughs> play Nunez from the left Nunez according to us hasn't started a game on the left this season so ah he has for Uruguay though mm. you can do it I think yeah. in the front three it doesn't matter as matter as much but it's a very very mobile front three we'll go with that there's, there's a few players there that again I would question Jonathan what, what have you come up with well Koulibaly is the one who stands out I mean yeah. I guess it's it's picking from a, a really bad lot but Thiago Silva's yeah. been really good this season yeah every other centre-back in both of those sides has been <laughs> dreadful um, yeah, that's fair to be fair that is fair I mean I, I'd almost be tempted to to um, what's, uh, Badia Shile because uh, I thought he looked looked alright on Sunday uh, I mean it's a big call on one game but it, <laughs> given the alternative could have used his form in Monaco couldn't we to, to have got him in the team perhaps yeah would he have got in the team probably I mean he must have done Probably, yeah, given there's, you know, every other centre-back is rubbish. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with picking these teams. Jonathan, what did you do? It's so hard because so many players out. It's, it's incredibly difficult to, to pick a team. So it, it's it's not dissimilar, uh, but I had Badia Shile over Koulibaly. Um, I, I had Alisson in goal. Um, what was your midfield? Thiago, Fabinho and Mount. Yeah, uh, I think I had Henderson, Zakaria and Mount. Um, I mean Henderson basically just because he's he's from Sunderland. I don't know if I mentioned that before. Captain, um, as a carrier gives you a bit of, I suppose he's injured again, isn't he? So that, that's the problem. Everybody, everybody's out. So yeah, you're just left with picking the people who are who are not injured. Yeah, that's right off this section. That's completely right off. Combined 11s today. No good who scored. Come back Come back next time. Do better. Uh, what are we going for score predictions for this one then? Ben, I will come to you first this time. 
Uh, I think it'd be two all on this one. Jonathan? Well, all four games between them last season were draws. And so I sort of think that can't continue. So I've gone 2-1 Liverpool, but with a very... With a, with a massive question mark in my heart. Same as me. I've got Liverpool to win 2-1 as well. They won last night in the FA Cup, obviously. We're recording on Wednesday. Right then, Arsenal against Manchester United. Manchester United are playing tonight. As I say, we're recording on a Wednesday, so we're going to look a little bit more at Arsenal. Absolutely flying. Going to win the league by the looks of things. Is there an element of luck involved in it, Jonathan? Because the rivals have dropped off. But then if actually, if you look at Arsenal's form, it's exceptional, even if there was someone up there challenging with them. At this stage of the season, to be on the points they're on is exceptional. Yeah, 47 points in 18 games. You, you project that over season, 99 points. So other teams don't have to drop off much to be 10 points behind them. Um, yeah, fair. I'd, I'd, I'd be amazed if they got 99 points, but uh, I think Arteta was saying he thought they need more than 90, which I think is absolutely guaranteed that they'll need more than 90. Um, Do you think even this season? Oh, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not this season, but I certainly think if they're getting 87, 88, they're, they're giving other teams a chance that they shouldn't be giving them. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think if they get... 93 points to win the league. 92, I think it starts to become questionable because I think City could put a run together. Well, how many points are City on before I, I make know. an absolute... I was thinking around, I was thinking 85 might be enough. Uh, City on 39. The team would be Tottenham puts them on 42. Uh, so they then have... So they're on course for 84 points. Can they win two more games in the second half of the season to get 90? Yes, definitely they can because they've had six games a season where they've dropped points. So yeah, let, 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 let's. I'm going to say 93 will win the league for us. Got to play each other as well. I think got to play each other twice, haven't they? Those two. Got to play each other twice, yeah. Which yeah, I think big. might might count against Arsenal that they, because of the death of the Queen, they hadn't played that Europa yeah. League game against PSV, and then they the, the rearrangement of that game meant they they didn't get to play City when they were on a high, and City just lost to, lost to Brentford maybe, or they just dropped points anyway. They were on a on a, on a you know, there's a slight doubt about them. I mean, it may be that 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 City and United and Newcastle can't continue the form of the first half of the season. Um, but I, I, th- I think if you're on target for 99 points, you can't say you've been lucky. And, and to an extent, you're putting pressure on those other teams by by maintaining that form. Yeah, no one would have expected Arsenal to be this good. Pep Guardiola would be fuming. He'd have never thought that Arsenal would be this good. This season, he might have thought Liverpool, perhaps, with battles they've had over the years. But for Arsenal to be where they are at this at this point, Arteta and the players and everyone at Arsenal deserve so much credit. But he's the transfer window, Ben. So Arsenal fans will obviously want signings. They've missed out on Mudrick. They're potentially looking at players like Ferran Torres, I think, to come in and, and come in the front three, cover all three positions. But it's that central midfield role. I watched Thomas Partey and Xhaka against Tottenham. They're so, so key to, to what they do. Partey's one-touch passing is, is absolutely immense. That doesn't get talked about enough. He keeps the ball moving for, for Arsenal. He's a massive part of what they do. And Xhaka's obviously that huge leader in there as well. If they lose one of them, there's nothing beneath them to come in that, that's going to come in and do anywhere near the same job. Completely agree. Um, I mean... Of going on who's got ratings, three of the top six rated players are Odegaard, Party, and Jacker. Um, in Odegaard, they've got that, you know, they've got Fabio Vieira to come in, stepping into midfield to kind of cover that attacking role that he provides from midfield. But Vieira's not the same level as Odegaard, who's just been unbelievable this season. Um, he's player of the year, Odegaard, at the moment, across yeah, the whole league. Definitely up there. Um, you lose Party, and then he's not. The same caliber as player, you lose Xhaka and Laconga's not the same sort uh, same same standard as Xhaka. Um if they lose, I think if they lose Erdegaard, they will probably be okay because they have that solid defensive foundation with Partey and Xhaka to a lesser extent this season. But if you lose one of Xhaka or uh Partey uh, in the sort of coming weeks, then it throws a spanner in the works for their midfield. Um you can see why they're being linked with Declan Rice, he can kind of cover both of those roles, and it could just be that. They've lost Felix and Mudrick to Chelsea and uh, Arsenal. Edu's basically taking that personally and thinking, well, actually, I'm going to go steal Declan Rice from you instead then. Um, Good but he can... I'd like to say that move in all fairness. Declan yeah. Rice for Arsenal is a great fit. Mm, yeah, I mean, he can cover both those, that Xhaka role and that party role if need be. Um, but if, you know, if they lose one of those two players, um, what happens then? Party was injured towards the end of last season. The top four bid got derailed and end up losing that to Tottenham. Um, they lose party again this season. What, you know, what's to say they'll drop off completely and allow City back into the title race? 
Yeah, he'd be he'd be an absolute huge miss. I do think maybe slightly they can cover off Xhaka because their their defence is pretty well set. Arsenal they've got cover in every position there. They could perhaps play Tierney and move Zinchenko to play the, the Xhaka role. Maybe I think that that might work. But it's party in there is is irreplaceable. El Nini and Lukonga are not going to be able to do what party does. And party missed the game at Old Trafford, which is the only game Arsenal lost this season. Yeah, there we go. The proof's in the pudding, isn't it, Jonathan? That, Casemiro yeah. also didn't play that game, which is because um, that slightly weird thing where they didn't pick him for a month. Yeah, when he first came in. Yeah, they should. They should, they should have picked him. It's, it's well, fair. I mean, may, maybe he needed that month to acclimatise because he can't argue with his form since. But no, brilliant. brilliant <laughs> it looks weird now. Like, yeah, I mean, oh, also keep going, McTominay. Really? Like, have you seen this as a bloke? <laughs> yeah, McTominay's not nowhere near it at the moment, is he? No, I don't think he's, he's barely even coming on at the moment, McTominay. Talking to players playing in weird positions and, and whatnot and weird things happening. Luke Shaw now, Jonathan, seems to be a left centre-back for Manchester United. Yeah. Now, watching him over the years, I'd have never said that he could play a left centre-back, especially with in a two-centre-back system. Yeah, I, I could have imagined it in a three, absolutely, yeah. I think I think yeah. a lot of modern fullbacks can play on the outside of a three. Yeah, agree but, completely. But to, uh, but yeah, I was a, a a big a big shot, but it's worked. I think the, he's played four games at centre back. They've won them all. They've only let in two goals, and, and one of those was was that weird goal that Everton scored against them in the cup, where you know it sort of bobbled between De Gea's leg and the post about fifteen times before popping out for for Cody. Um, so look, it's it's worked, which I, I think is maybe indicative of the fact that a lot of modern defending is more about positioning than about physical strength. Yeah. Um, which which I guess feeds into the conversation that we were having about um Martinez at the beginning of the season. Is he is he big enough to to, to play in the Premier League? Um and obviously it, it, it can cause problems at set players particularly, but I think in general play positional centre is much more important. And the fact that you know United was so good in keeping Holland quiet last week. I mean I think Holland had was it was it one shot in the game, I think, or, or possibly one on target. If he did, I don't remember it. But he was he was as quiet as as as, a, yeah, as I've seen him in the Premier League, um, and that again is it's enormous credit to Ten Hag that he's he's seen that uh, potential in Shaw and he's he's picked him to do it and, and Shaw's done exceptionally well. Yeah, you'd imagine Martinez would come back in at, at some point and Luke Shaw will go back to his natural position. But as a fin- I think it's you know it's not great for Harry Maguire or Lindelof in all fairness, but I think it is that building from the back having that left footed centre back. He does put a lot of credence on that. Eric, Eric Ten Hag, so having Luke Shaw there at the moment, that, I think that's one of the main reasons why he's doing it. Let's have our score predictions for this one then, and I will go first this time. I'm going to have to start taking some risks because I'm having a rotten season in the predictions. I'm going to go 2-1 to Manchester United. Jonathan? 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. And Ben? 2-1 to Arsenal. 2-1 to Arsenal. All, all different there. Differentials <laughs> going on in the predictions league. We're going to finish, as always, with the just-a-minute section. So we are going to avoid the City and Spurs matches because obviously they're playing a game before we do our predictions. And the same with Palace and Manchester United. Oh, no, we've already done Manchester United. We're going to avoid Palace as well because they're playing in the wake against Manchester United as well. I can see Jonathan's confusion on how... I've no, I, we're that. doing Palace. I'm doing Palace Newcastle. Oh, are we? Yeah. Well, there we go. I'm not going to say anything. We're just going to go straight <laughs> We're just going to go straight into it. Jonathan, you have the honour of starting with Southampton against Villa. Yeah, so Southampton, um, bottom of the table still, but they have won the last three games, uh, albeit one of those in the Carabao Cup, one of them in the FA Cup. And that win in the Carabao Cup, obviously, was that incredibly impressive win against Manchester City, which... Uh, should have given them confidence and does appear to have given them confidence. Um, but I think this is a is a major test for for, for the, the 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 Nathan Jones uh, resurgence because um, Villa have been much better under Emery uh, in the league. They've they've played six, one, four, drawn one, lost one. That game they lost was the game against Liverpool on Boxing Day when when they played pretty well and maybe a bit unlucky to to lose. Um, I think. One of the things Emery's done really well, I think defensively they look a lot better, but I think not picking Coutinho has really helped. Uh, we're starting to see the best of Leon Bailey, which uh, is very encouraging. Uh, Villa won this 1-0 early in the season. Uh, they've got a lot of injuries, though. Uh, Diego Carlos, McGinn, Augustinson, uh, all out. Uh, Dendonka suspended. Um, Southampton have Bella Kotchup, uh, Larius, Walcott and Livermento out. Um and I think Villa will repeat their earlier score and win 1-0. Absolutely love it, Jonathan. Villa have won both away games under Emery since he's come in, but I think this one will be 1-1. Ben? Uh, I think Villa will edge it 1-0 as well. 
love the, love the confidence. Love, love those predictions. Mm. Ben, you've got West Ham against Everton. Yeah, two teams on dire runs of form clash at the London Stadium on Saturday afternoon as West Ham host Everton. Pair have failed to win in seven, the longest active winners runs in the Premier League and are stuck in the relegation zone on 15 points apiece. Uh, the Hammers have lost three in the bounce on home turf. Understandably, the West Ham faithful are starting to run out of patience with head coach David Moyes. Yelling to correct the Hammers' poor run of form without Maxwell Cornet, though Alfonso Ariola will be assessed and could be fit to make the squad. However, he is unlikely to take Lucas Fabianski's spot between the sticks. An inability to regularly hit the back of the net is proving to be West Ham's downfall. Only Wolves have actually scored fewer league goals this season than the Hammers. With East London side seeking to correct these goal woes with the potential addition of Terran Moffi from Lorient, the Nigerian striker having scored 12 league goals this season. Uh, Everton suffered a huge blow in their bid to beat the drop as they fell to a 2-1 home loss to relegation, relegation rival Southampton. And the fans voiced their discontent after the defeat as the videos on show, social media show. Like West Ham, a lack of goals is harming Toffee's chances of consolidating their top flight spot. With Everton, like West Ham, having scored 15 league goals this season. Frank Lampard has four players out due to injury here with Nathan Patterson, James Garner, Andros Townsend, Michael Keane all sidelined. Everton do have an OK record at the London Stadium, but what is likely to be the footballing equivalent of two bold men fighting over a comb, I'd back West Ham to use home advantage and secure all the spoils here. And I'm backing West Ham to edge this one 1-0. One I'm going to go nil-nil. Jonathan? Also 1-0 to West Ham. 1-0 to West Ham. Ben, yellow card. That was at well over a minute. Come on. You know that you know the word yellow card there. It's the just a minute section. Yep, Bournemouth, Bournemouth v Forest for you, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, Forest in a nice run of form at the moment. Uh, they've got to the semi final of the Carabao Cup. They've only lost one of their last six. Um, their win at Southampton on January the 4th was their first away from home this season. That was only their second away goal this season. Uh, they're now up to the 13th in the table, which seems incredible. And they could climb the 12th, depending what uh, what happens with Palace. Um, against United and against Newcastle, uh, but this is a real chance to consolidate that that move away from the bottom three against the Bournemouth side, who seem to be sinking pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game early in the season was that game where Forest were two up at half time at the City Ground. Bournemouth came back in the second half, won it three uh, two, which was right in the middle of the Gary O'Neill sort of golden spell. They, they got him a job, but they've now lost um, six games in a row. They've lost 10 of the last 12 games, and the only two that they haven't lost have both been wins against Frank Lampard's Everton, which only just counts. Uh, Forrest got nine players out, um, including uh, Henderson, Lingard, and Kiate. Bournemouth have got seven out, of whom uh, Lewis Cook and Mr. Spender Adam Smith and Solanke are probably the, the two big ones. Uh, I'm going to go 1-1 here. Uh, I'm going to go 3-1 to Forrest. Ben? 2-1 to Forrest. Two, one to Forest. Jonathan, yellow card for you as well. That was over a minute. Ah, uh, 67 seconds away. Um, <laughs> a, 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 over a minute is over a minute, Jonathan. The rules of the rules are there for a reason. Uh, Leicester v Brighton, Ben. Leicester's post-World Cup slump continued at the weekend as they fell to a 2-0 defeat at Midlands rivals Nottingham Forest. The Foxes have lost four, their last four league matches and now just two points above the relegation zone. Brennan Rodgers has watched on as his side have scored just one league goal in the last four matches as his struggles come to the fore once more. The Foxes welcome in-form Brighton to the King Power Stadium on Saturday and Rodgers must do so without five confirmed confirmed, abs- five confirmed absentees. However, Rodgers may welcome back three key attacking players in Ozzy Perez, Keenan Dewsby Hall and, crucially, James Madison as Leicester look to sort their goal issues. One team without such problems in front of goal is Brighton. Since Roberto De Zerbi took charge of the Seagulls back in mid-September, they scored 24 league goals, which at the time of writing, time of recording, sorry, is behind only Arsenal and Newcastle with 28 and 25 respectively. Brighton smashed Liverpool 3-0 at the Amex on Saturday and they now sit just one point outside the top six. They have no major injury concerns with Jakob Murder a long-term absentee. Landry Trossard is set to leave the club this month, but with Solly March, Evan Ferguson and Carol Mitoma in flying form, the Belgians' absence isn't a huge loss. Brighton are winless in seven at the King Power, but have one of the best away records in the Premier League and they are good value to land a fourth successive away league win which I'm backing to do so, to win 3-1. Just, just about a minute there. Could have been a potential red card offence. Jonathan, your prediction? <laughs> Uh, 2-1 to uh, Brighton. I'm going to go 3-0 to Brighton. Successive 3 nils for Brighton and Hove Albion. Jonathan, you finish with the Johan Kabay Derby, Palace against Newcastle. The Palace won 5 of 6 before the United game on... on sorry, lost 5 of 6 before the United game on Wednesday. Uh, they're still 12th on the table, uh, 7 points above the relegation zone. Uh, but they will, I think, be starting to look a little bit anxiously over their shoulders. Uh, Newcastle are up to third. They still haven't lost in the league since August... Uh, the Sheffield Wednesday defeat in the Cup did perhaps raise doubts uh, about the, 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 their strength in depth. Um, they got a big doubt over Gamarash, uh, who turned his ankle against Fulham on Sunday. Uh, they can bring Joel, Joel Linton back 
into midfield and play San Maxon on the left. Uh, but they're also without Kraft, Target and Shelby. Um, MacArthur, Anderson and Ferguson are all out for Palace. When they met early in the season at St. James's Park, it finished nil-nil. Uh, which is one of five goalless draws for Newcastle this season. Newcastle do have a best defensive record in the league, and I think they'll continue that with, with a clean sheet here and win by a single goal, 2-0. Yep, I've gone 2-0 as well, Ben. 2-0 to Newcastle. Right, then, Ben. Okay. Finish... Could you show my timing there? <laughs> well, that's, again, that's over is over, Jonathan, but I can't send you off when the game's finished. Oh, no, I can, and then you'd be banned for next week, but I'm not going to do that because we don't. It's only the FA Cup. Don't care. Yeah, well, I don't think we're doing a show either, so, you know, it doesn't matter if you sit, sit with that one out when we're not doing a show. Ben Lees v Brentford, walking the tightrope you are. Your minute starts now. Uh, a 2-1 loss at Aston Villa last week extended Leeds' winless run to five games, and such a poor streak has seen them drop to within two points of the relegation zone. Since an impressive 3-0 win over Chelsea back in August, Leeds have won just one of the last seven in the league at Elland Road, and they need to correct their home form in order to keep their heads above water. Uh, they signed young French forward Jorginho Ruta from Huffen- Huffenheim earlier this week, and while he scored just two league goals, the tricky 20-year-old has completed more dribbles than any other player in the Bundesliga this season. He'll hope to make his Premier League debut against Brentford, but Jesse Marsh is without Crisencio, Somerville, Archer Gray and Stuart Dallas. Liam Cooper and Lewis Sinistera may return from injury against Cardiff when they play in the FA Cup tonight or Adam Forshaw could feature at the weekend. Brighton extended their unbeaten run to seven games last time out, so they eased past Bournemouth at the G-Tech Community Stadium. The Bees have now won four of the last five and begin to look up rather than down the table. Thomas Frank is hoping to have Shandon, Baptiste and Rico Henry available for Sunday's trip to Ellen Road, but Frank Onyeka, Aaron Hickey and Thomas Strakosha miss out. The Bees won the reverse fixture 5-2 back in September, but have failed to win their last six trips to Leeds. With a solid away record, Brentford will feel confident returning to the capital all three points in tow. But Ellen, Ellen Road will likely provide a hostile atmosphere for Frank's side with a rivalry developing between the pair in recent years. Uh, I think this one will end 2-all. Jonathan? 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. I'm going to go 2-all as well. And then it's a red card. Ten, se- ten seconds <laughs> over. I, I can't <laughs> let that go. No one yeah, would ever respect enough. me ever again if I, if I let that go. <laughs> red card. We'll sort out a punishment for the next show. Unbelievable scenes <laughs> in the just a minute section. A red card. I've never had to do that before. You should be ashamed of yourself, Ben. Oh, I'll, I'll be replaced next time out, don't worry. <laughs> that, that does us <laughs> for this week's iteration of Edge of the Box. Thanks ever so much to Jonathan and Ben for joining me. Thanks for watching as well. Thanks to Sam from BetVictor and to BetVictor for continuing their sponsorship with us. We'll be back the next time the Premier League games of the week after the FA Cup round of fixtures. Subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on and you'll know exactly when the show is coming. Only one thing left to say, stay safe.